So um, today is the anniversary, uh, today's Trinity Sunday, or June, 10, June 7th, is the 17th anniversary of the first Mass I ever celebrated, um, which is actually not technically true. I celebrated, I was ordained on the 6th, but it was the first Mass I got to celebrate, like I was like the, the lead guy. Um, the previous Mass, the bishop was the lead guy, whatever, <laughs> still on the show. Um, but I was thinking about this because 17 years ago, on this day, um, just got to pray, got to pray as a priest at the Mass, um, and it was, it was, phenomenal, but I had come across the story of another guy, uh, Father John, uh, and Father John, the first Mass he ever celebrated, it, he had a vision, like the whole, the Lord revealed to himself to him, he was, here's the vision. So Father John is celebrating his very first Mass, and as he's celebrating his first Mass, he sees three figures, and one is the figure of Jesus, and Jesus is chained, he's, he's, in, he's shackled next to two other human beings. Um, and Father John had this, this powerful, uh, the image spoke to him in a way that made it very, very clear. So Father John left Mass, you know, got, well, got done with it, he finished, I'm sure he finished like a normal person, um, and he went to speak to a hermit, his name was Father Felix, um, who was this older man that he just really trusted in, and he said, Father Felix, I have an image from Jesus that uh, we need to start a religious community, and this religious community needs to be dedicated to ransoming those who are slaves. At the time, there were a number of Christians who were being uh, uh, as Islam continued to spread throughout um, Northern Africa and the Middle East and getting closer and closer to Europe, as they would take over these, these villages, these towns, these cities, what would happen is they would enslave these Christians. And so here's Father John who says, I have this, this image, here's Jesus, he's enslaved with our brothers and sisters. And so what we need to do is we need to do something about this critical thing that slavery exists in our world. And I, says, I believe we're called to actually go to them and, and purchase their lives back with gold if necessary, or with gold if we can, and with our very lives if necessary. So um, they prayed about it. Actually, they didn't just pray for weeks or for months. They, they actually prayed for years because the cause was urgent and the cause was important, but the decision itself had to be guided by the Lord. And after a number of years of prayer, they knew it was time and they founded this thing called the Trinitarian Order. And the Trinitarian Order was these, at first, this group of men who wherever there were slaves, they would go to where there were slaves, and if they could, they would buy back these slaves with gold. And if they couldn't buy back slaves with gold, they would buy back slaves by exchanging themselves for the slaves. And their motto of the purpose of the Trinitarian order was, um, we exist for the glory of the most holy trinity and for the redemption of captives. We exist for the glory of the most holy trinity and the redemption of captives. Which I think is, is, is it's important, I think, to point out this Trinitarian order on the Trinity Sunday um, today. We, so pr Trinity Sunday today uh, is known as the preacher's nightmare because um, Trinity is a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. Um, in fact, as I said before at the beginning of Mass, it is the central mystery of the Christian faith. And it's one of those things where um, not only do we can't grasp the infinite identity of God in our finite minds, but also we... The thing about Trinity Sunday is it's very clearly all about God himself. I mean, everything we do at Mass, everything we do in Christianity, in Catholicism, it's all about God. Like, he's the central character. He is the source and ground of everything. We kind of get invited into this. But on Trinity Sunday, we're just invited to reflect on the very identity of God, about who God is in himself, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is super abstract, right? It's like completely vague, really hazy, um, and also bad math. Because we say God is one and three. Like that is very poor, very poor math. Um, but we realize, right, it's not bad math. It's, it's truth. God is one God in three divine persons. So when we say one and three, what we're saying is 
God is one what? And he's three who's. That he is the Father and the Son. So that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. So, right? so they're all one God. They're one what, but three who's. If we reflect on that, not only do our hearts kind of burst, but so do our heads, because it's just like, it's this big headache. And so a lot of times I think we just don't pay attention to that. We just kind of like, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whatever. Um, and it's too complex. But the reality, of course, is that God gets to tell us who he is. This is one of the truths of Trinity Sunday, is God gets to tell us who he is. No matter how vague, no matter how complex, no matter how much we don't understand it, God gets to tell us who he is. And that's the, I mean, the, the point in some ways of Exodus chapter 34, which we heard today. Uh, here's Moses going up, the temp, or going up the mountain with two stone tablets. Now, this is the second time Moses has gotten tablets from the Lord, but he came down the first time and broke them. And so he has to go back up the mountain. He's going up the mountain. This is an important detail. He's going up the mountain with two stone tablets that are blank. And one of the things that that tells us is that Moses is going up the mountain with the knowledge that, God, I don't get to tell you who you are. You get to tell me who you are. I'm going up with blank tablets, and what you reveal to me about yourself, you get to write down. Because <laughs> I'm made in your image and likeness. You're not made in my image and likeness. And that's the thing, is that that's how, the, that's how all this affects us. Because we need to know that, right? How does this affect me? Because we're a bunch of narcissists and egotists. And, um, okay, how does this affect us? How does God getting to tell us who he is, how, how does that affect us? Well, answer, answer, what is a human being? Like, is a human being just an accident of nature? Is a human being just um, highly evolved creatures? Um, do we have, as human beings, do we have any value? And, and where does it come from? If we do have any value, where does that value come from? Well, again, our declaration of faith is what? What is a human being? Our declaration of faith is that we're made in God's image and likeness. Again, not that he is made in our image and likeness. Moses goes up the temple, goes up the mountain with blank tablets. Because God, you get to tell us who you are. We are made in your image and likeness. You're not made in our image and likeness. And so what is a human being? A human being is someone who, anyone, who is made in God's image and likeness. And what that means is that we're gifted, we're like God. We have an intellect, we can think, we have a will, we can choose, we can create, that we're, we're free. And, and maybe above everything else, maybe almost, almost above everything else, is that because we're made in God's image and likeness, we have dignity. A dignity that, yes, can be violated, but can't be taken away. A dignity that can be demeaned, but can't be destroyed. And I don't think we often live this way, which is one of the reasons why we're given Trinity Sunday again. I don't think we often recognize that truth that we're made in God's image and likeness. I, uh, I want to bring up, <laughs> I wanna bring up uh, a man named George Floyd. You all know his name. I don't want to, he was just, he was, his funeral was this past week. And um, in the funeral, if you ever got to stream it, you got to see that there were many people in, in George's life that loved him, in his life that loved him. Many people loved him in his death. Um, so he was a man who was loved. And if you've done any reading about his life, you also know that he was a man who was flawed. That um, when he was murdered, he had methamphetamine in his system. That at various times in his life, he uh, got into some bad things. He, at some points, he was homeless. Not that that's a character flaw. Um, in fact, he'd done five years in prison for the situation of uh, breaking into a woman's home, he knocked on her door with a gun, 
There's some buddies that were his accomplices to try to rob the place. When she saw what he was doing, she was a young black woman who was pregnant. When she saw what he was doing, she tried to stop, but he barged his way in and pointed his gun at her womb and held her there at gunpoint while his friends robbed her home. He went to jail for five years for that. So he, he did his time. I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to take, talk negatively about the dead. I'm not trying to speak disparagingly about the dead. But I would say that sometimes if we had met a person who lived a life like this, who made some bad choices, we might jump to the conclusion, we might be tempted to jump to the conclusion that that's the kind of person who's been disqualified. Like that, that's, that's the kind of person who doesn't deserve dignity. Because that's a temptation in our broken hearts that we sometimes jump to that place. But when you saw the video of him being murdered, in that moment, his humanity was on display even as it was being violated. Because everyone who watched that was broken by it. You didn't ask, what was he, a good guy or a bad guy? In that moment, the truth of the goodness of his humanity was revealed, maybe even because it was being violated. Because we watched this and we recognized something in him that hadn't been lost. And it didn't even matter whether he was a good guy or a bad guy. Because in, in subsequent you know, actions since then, there's some good people who have been killed. Uh, there's a man, you might know, him, know of him, his name is David Dorn. David Dorn in St. Louis, he's a retired 77-year-old retired police chief who was trying to protect one of his friend's pawn shops from it being robbed and looted. And he got shot there right on the sidewalk. And there's a video of that too. And you see that and you're like, oh my gosh, like here's this man who was described by so many others as he was a father to everybody. He was a good person. And you don't even have to contrast David Dorn and George Floyd. Were they a good guy or a bad guy? Because as Christians, we don't need to know the details of a person's life to know that they're worth loving. Why? Because we're made in God's image and likeness. And that can be violated, but it can't be taken away. That can be demeaned, but it can't be destroyed. Again, as Christians, as Catholics, we don't need to know the details of a person's life to know this fact, that they are worth, absolutely worth loving. Because what is a human being? A human being is someone who's made in God's image and likeness. And that dignity, again, it can be violated, but it can't be taken. It can be demeaned, but it cannot be destroyed. That we recognize that the deaths of all these people, anybody, reminds us the dangers of dehumanizing someone. The danger of dehumanizing someone, which is the refusal to see someone or hear someone or, or treat someone as human, as being someone made in God's image and likeness. And it's, it's, for us Catholics, it's even worse. Um, for us Catholics, it's even worse because we know. I've had a number of conversations over the last uh, two weeks since George Floyd's death on Memorial Day uh, with uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters, our black Catholic brothers and sisters, who have said, Father, why have you never preached on racism? And I was like, I, I guess I never, <laughs> here, here, I have to apologize right away. Why have I never preached on racism? Um, I might have included it in a list of sins at some point, but my thought was, well, if we talk about the dignity of every human being, well, duh. <laughs> This is clearly a violation. Sexism, racism, any kind of discrim false discrimination uh, is clearly evil. It's clearly a sin. I just thought we knew this. I just thought we knew this, that it didn't necessarily have to be said. But I was wrong. It has to be said. Because every person you and I have ever met is made in the image and likeness of God whether they're a good person in our world or a bad person in our world. 
Um, I think my buddy C.S. Lewis says it really well. Because <laughs> C.S. Lewis made, made, the, made the connection. He said, here's, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Uh, if, we're, if we're actually surrounded by people who are made in God's image and likeness, then we are, in his words, he says, we live in a society of possible gods and goddesses then. He goes on to say, he says, Remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption, such as you now meet at all in the nightmares. And as all day long, here we are, he says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of these or other of these possibilities, these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is in, with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with other people. Like in light of this, like any person you meet, again, no matter old or young, no matter how, what, what sex they are, no matter uh, what race they are, ethnicity, whether socioeconomic class, he says, all of our relations with human beings, this is what a Christian, that's how Christian thinks, that's how Christ, Christians see other people. He says, we conduct all of our dealings with one another like this. Every friendship, every love, every play, every politics, every politics. He didn't underline that. I'm underlining that. To say this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures, arts, civilizations, those are all mortal and they will all pass away. But it is with immortals that we joke. It's with immortals that we work with. It is an immortal person that you marry, or that you snub, or that you exploit, or that we just pass by and don't treat like they're someone made in God's image and likeness, or that we just simply allow them to be exploited or treated in a way that violates who they truly are. Because every single person is made in God's image and likeness, and therefore I don't need to know the details of a person's life to know that they're worth loving. At the same time, I might need to know the details of their life in order to actually love them. This is where it comes back to the Trinity. Because um, the Trinity has, is, is what God is, intellect and will, and it is free and creates. But the deepest mystery of the Trinity is not that God is powerful, is not that God is omniscient, is not that God is everywhere, it's that God is love. The deepest central identity of God is that he is. He doesn't just, he's not just the God who loves, he's the God who is love. It's that from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit pouring themselves out in the communion of love. And this is the thing, if God is love, if his deepest identity is love, and you're made in God's image and likeness, that means that your deepest identity is love. It's not just to know the fact that people are worth loving, but it's actually to love other people who are worth loving. It's to be transformed by this. Again, because I think a lot of times, I know for myself, like my, my faith is, is very much in my head. It might even be in my heart, but it doesn't necessarily change my life and who I love and how I love. I was listening to a conversation uh, between two friends of mine. Uh, one's Jeff Cavins, the other is Father Josh Johnson. And, and they were talking about um, how do we heal racial divides. And at one point, Father Josh shared the story of a parish that he knew of. I'm not sure if he was in his, in his, in his parish or if it was another he heard of. There were a number of uh, young Anglo moms. These, uh, these uh, young, I don't know how young, old they were, these moms, um, these Anglo moms had, had a Bible study and a prayer group and they met, they loved each other deeply and they recognized there were a group of Latina moms in their parish that they didn't really know at all. 
And but they're like, this is great. We, we love having our you know Latin or Hispanic masses. We love our Latinos in our culture and our in our parish. This is great. But they weren't part of their Bible studies. And so at one point, someone had the thought, like, you know, what we should do. We have all these Anglo moms. We should get in touch with this these Latina moms. And so they reached out and said, we have a Bible study. We'd love you to be part of it. Uh, we meet on 11 o'clock on Thursday mornings. And they said, that is not going to work for us because uh, we work. And so they said, okay, when will work? They said 11 p.m. on Thursdays. And they said, great, um, meet us. We meet at the church or at someone's house. And they're like, we can't go to your house. We can't go to the parish because in our neighborhood, um, after that amount of time at night, uh, the neighborhood's so bad that you, there's no public transit. Mom said, no problem, we'll come to you. So they came to them. And they started meeting on a regular basis at 11 p.m. at night for prayer, for like deep, actually like fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Um, and hearts were changed and lives were changed because they began sharing lives, sharing life with each other. They got to know each other's families. It wasn't just that one night and just the moms getting together. It was families getting together. It was the community getting together. It was the whole parish ultimately getting together. A lot of these moms actually ended up taking Spanish so they could just speak one-on-one -on -one with these other Latina moms. And you think about this like an incredible transformation where it's not just like, oh, it's, I tolerate you because that's what would be fine. If we just made a God's image and likeness and all that meant was we have an intellect and a will and we're free, then we just tolerate each other and we just don't get in each other's way. But if God is love, that means I get out of myself because to love is to make a gift of yourself. To love is to get out of yourself. And again, if God is love and we're making God's image and likeness, we're most fully ourselves when we love like God. We're most fully ourselves when we actually love the people around us. And I think about this, looking at this parish, um, in this transformation that happened with these Anglo moms and, and Latina moms, Jeff pointed this out. He said, actually, that's not even the most transformational moment. The, tra the, the most transformational moment wasn't the fact that some of these Anglo moms learned Spanish. It wasn't the fact that they were willing to change their schedule to meet at 11 p.m. instead of 11 a.m. wasn't even the fact that they were willing to like, say, let's reach out to other moms who are not necessarily completely like us. The transformational moment came in the moment of faith. When any one of those people, any one of those moms said, wait a second, if I'm made in God's image and likeness, if it's true that what we read in the gospel today, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who come to believe in him may have life, and I'm made in his image and likeness, that means that that shapes the way I see God because he gets to tell me who he is. And that shapes the way I see myself because if I made his image, in his image and likeness, then when he tells me who he is, he's now revealed to me who I am. And it also changes the way I see other people because if they're made in God's image and likeness, that means I don't need to know the details of their lives in order to know that they're worth loving, but I might need to know the details of their life if I'm actually going to be loving. So this is, this is the thing that's the difference between being Catholics in our creed and being Catholics in our lives. Love. That's the difference. God is love. Therefore, if I don't love, not only am I not like God, I'm not even me. Of course, we have a history um, of the church speaking against on love and speaking against using other people. I just want to note this before we get to the last thing. Um, this document, in 1537, Pope Paul III, 1537, Pope Paul III wrote this document called Sublimus Deus. Um, 
50 years or so before that um, Christopher Columbus had come to the New World. And with him, a bunch of exploitation of native peoples. And so the Pope, Pope Paul III, he wrote this document, this papal bull, not just like a letter. Papal bull means like we're in business, right? A bull. This is serious. Um, and what he said in Sublimus Deus was he said, when you encounter the native peoples of any land, but of the new world here, you must know that they are our brothers and our sisters. Even if they don't, he said, even if they don't share the Christian faith with us, they are made in God's image and likeness. And any effort to exploit them, enslave them, or misuse them, is strictly condemned. He called it evil 50 years after Christopher Columbus discovered the new world. Here's the church declaring definitively, if you mistreat, abuse, enslave, or demean these people, you are demeaning Jesus himself. Of course, some people listen, some people don't. Just like now, some people listen to the Pope and some people don't. That's why we need a renewal of the Trinitarian order. Because we know the truth. The Trinitarian order was founded on this motto, uh, for the glory of the most holy trinity and for the redemption of captives. That I didn't enslave someone, but if I can help them out of slavery, then that's my, do that's my job, that's my duty. That I didn't do anything to be oppressive to anyone, but if I see someone who's oppressed, then I need to do something about that. That's my job, why? Because I made it in God's image and likeness, they're made in God's image and likeness. That if I see injustice, I might not be the cause of their injustice. But if I can do something about it, then I have to. Why? Because they're made in God's image and likeness. And if I'm made in God's image and likeness, then I have to love. I have to love. Even if it's not my fault. And this is the last thing. Again, Father Josh, uh, talking with Jeff, and we, the next day he and I had a conversation online. You can see it. It's on the Ascension uh, Presents channel. One of the things he highlighted was like in the face of evil in the world, in the face of racism in the world, in the face of any kind of discrimination or, or injustice in the world where I wasn't the cause, like I didn't do it, like I was not, man, it's not my fault, what did I do, you know? Um, he says as a Christian though, we have to be like Jesus or like the Trinitarians. Because Jesus was innocent. But what did he do? He offered himself for the ransom of all of us who are guilty. He says that means that as Christians on Trinity Sunday, we need to be the Trinity. On Trinity Sunday, here is the Father who gave his only begotten Son, his innocent only begotten Son, to make reparation for our sins, to set us free. And Father Josh had this call. He said, yeah, you might not be guilty of the sin of racism. You might not be guilty of the sin of exclusion. You might not be guilty... Of, of any kind of uh, evil in your life. Unlikely, but still. But if you're a Christian, that means we carry each other's burdens willingly. That we give of ourselves willingly. That we make reparation by offering prayers for those who have been abused. By fasting for those who have been excluded. For doing penances for those who have experienced injustice of sexism or racism or any kind of unjust discrimination. We actually not only get to do that, we have to do that. Because just like St. John of Matha and St. Felix of Elor, our lives have this purpose. Our lives have this goal. Our lives have this mission. And if we live it like that, looking like God, 
loving like God, making reparation like God, then we'll live lives that give glory to the most holy trinity and are spent for the redemption of captives.